0: Could you tell
1: us uh, where we are and what we're doing? We're in a bookshop called Ronell's Antiquariat, which is on Berge and we're here with the Joyce Society of Sweden and Finland, who are today doing a marathon reading of some sections of James Joyce's Ulysses to mark the actual bloomsday of the the year, a hundred years after it was first published Um,
0: You are a man that I have always sort of you know, thought of Joyce and you go together for me, right? You're just one of those people that was involved in Bloomsday here, involved in these readings What's your involvement with Spuds and Seal with Joyce in general?
1: With Joyce in general um, is probably a a better thing to think about. With Spuds and Sill I'm a member of Spuds and Sill which is (laughs) Um, an Irish Drama Society here in Stockholm. Um, we get involved in these sort of cultural activities. We have our own um, Bloomsday event coming up on Sunday at Verstroms which will just be a get-together of people who will um, perhaps sing some songs, which are referred to in the book, and do readings similar to the readings that we're having here today, but not quite as long. Um, my own involvement with Joyce is um, a little more controversial, I mean obviously growing up in Dublin you're exposed to Joyce. Um, In order to fit us all into, into bedrooms at home people were shuffled about from one place to another and myself and two of my brothers ended up in the same bedroom that my parents had used and my dad had built a bookshelf there and I used to wake up on a Saturday morning and open my eyes and up on the top shelf there there was this book about two inches thick called uh, Finnegan's Wake and right next to it there was a book about six inches thick called A Reader's Guide to Finnegan's Wake. So I was always sort of aware of and interested in Joyce um, and I won't say he's overrated but I prefer Beckett. <laughs> and yet it's something that you know, you've carried with you from that bedroom in Dublin
0: uh, through your life here in Sweden.
1: Yeah, I think there's to some extent a bit of an expectation on Irish people to be interested in Ulysses. And of course, when it comes to Bloomsday, then everybody's looking for Joyce-related activities. Um, For myself, I'm very, very happy to get involved with those events. Um, But my own relationship to Joyce, or probably to any writer, is much more personal and I tend to hide those things away and not talk about them too much. Probably won't have a whole lot
0: of choice for sitting here with a microphone under your nose. Uh, You were saying that this is a marathon reading. I mean, there's people who would argue that reading Ulysses at all is a marathon undertaking. So what format are things taking here at Runel's today?
1: Well, we're not going to get to read the whole book because that would be an (laughs) ultra-marathon. I think the format today is Choosing um, several different sections, we've got two three-hour sessions, or three two-hour sessions, um, and each of them picks more or less one episode from from the book, and uh, it's sort of picked at strategic times during the day. So we've I say we; it's the Joyce Society of Sweden and Finland that are organising the whole thing. But the, uh, yeah, the first reading focused on episode four, which is our introduction to Leopold and Molly Bloom. So we've left all the Stephen Dedalus parts of it behind. Um, we move forward then for the second reading to um, four o'clock at the Ormond Hotel. And uh, Bloom is dining again there, and there are various people. and we're waiting for Blazes Boylan to go off and have an affair with Molly. Um, And the final section is when Bloom comes home in the evening. Um, He comes home with Stephen Daedalus, who then heads off on his own, and Bloom returns upstairs to to Molly, and she then breaks forth in a famous soliloquy. So... That's, that's the format of the day. It, it, it doesn't tend, try to be um, a comprehensive reading of the novel or a, any sort of explanation of it. It's just a pure reading. And the reading, depending on who's reading, um, because it is the Joyce Society of Sweden and Finland, most of the members are Swedish, and some of them prefer to read in Swedish. And the, the, the readings flit back and forth from Swedish to English, depending on who's reading. So it's not a case that you t- each sort of take a character or... It's no, p- no, no, You no. take a, a
0: section and read away there.
1: And there's a, a moderator there who taps you on the shoulder and tells you to pass the book on to the next person mm. when he gets bored of at the sound of you. Sounds a lot like the Christian Brothers. There's not one of them hanging around here to keep that going. So sounds a lot like me at home. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, are you getting a lot of interest from people? Like, the situation here is that we 're sitting on the balcony above there 's a table with green bays and several copies of Ulysses on it. Is there a lot of people? One man just came by here was having a break and said he 'd be back at one o 'clock
1: yeah there's quite a good crew here um, there, as you say there 's a table there and people sitting around it. The, those closest to the table um, will take part in the actual reading. <coughs> um, And earlier on, if if you'd been here two hours ago, the the balcony up here was pretty well loaded with people. And surrounding the table, there were a lot of other people. There there was about uh, perhaps 40, 45 people here. Um, Not all of them participating, some of them just enjoying the event and enjoying being read to. Um, We hit lunchtime and put them, as as people do when you read to them, they they, they fall asleep. (laughs) Um, so we, we sent some off to, to happy dreams. You okay. know, we, we'll we'll uh, get a few more victims later on. Do you expect a, a sort of an equally big crowd during the afternoon? I expect more or less the same crowd. We may get some extra people in. We may have some people dropping out. But I think most people are here for the day, pretty much. And uh, obviously it's a working day as some people get more free time. They might drop in a little later on. Hopefully they'll drop in a little later on and uh, we'll have um, raucous applause when it's all done. Look, If it's only me, it'll certainly be raucous. raucous applause and relief. <laughs> <laughs> get a drink somewhere when the whole thing is over.
0: How important is it to you, Niall, as somebody who's lived outside of Ireland for a long time, who has an obvious love of, of Irish literature and culture, that a day like this, that it's marked in places like Stockholm and Helsinki
1: and Budapest and New York? Uh, to me, personally, it's not... Uh, Critical. I'm. Uh, I always feel quite uh, s- self-sufficient in in my cultural background or in my in my life. Um, it's nice. It's uh, nice is a very bland word. It's uh, it's heartwarming to see other people being interested um, and involved, but of course. Um, it doesn't matter so much that it's an Irish thing it's it's a book that or it's, it's a a work the entire work of Joyce as with the entire work of Beckett they're, they're very precious things to me and it's of course it's always great to see other people loving the things that you love um, whether they be Swedish whether they be Irish whether they be dare we say, um, whatever. What's the, the reaction of people like here? The people who come here, do they
0: understand what Bloomsday is? Do they have any knowledge of Joyce, or do they just caught up as they, they're browsing here, they get caught up?
1: I think the people who are here are devotees, and uh, they, um, they're very open to it. They're very greedy for um, Joyce. And I think that's what, what, what has drawn them here. Um, you do see as the, as the event goes on that some, there are people in the background looking in to see what's going on. But um, the majority of them are probably people who are passing by and they say, oh, there's a bookshop, I have five minutes, I'll go in and have a look. And then they, they find this going on, but they don't necessarily have time in their day to, to stop and look. But as I said, we had about 45 people here earlier. Hopefully there'll be a few more than that. As the day goes on, and that core of people are devoted to being here, Um, devoted to Joyce, and uh, as I say, greedy for Joyce and anything.
0: There's a sign up here, it's my final question. There's a sign up here from the Embassy of Ireland. How much do you feel like an ambassador for Ireland and for Joyce at this event?
1: Um, I don't know. I think um, because I'm participating myself. not reading as such but I, earlier earlier on in the session God bless the people here they put up with me singing for a few minutes um, there have been little sort of pantomimes going on in the background with me and some of the other members of the Swedish Ar- Swedish-Irish Swedish drama group Spuds and Sil. Um so I don't really at the moment have a chance to sit back and think whether I'm being an ambassador I'm just trying to get my own nerves put aside and uh, stand up when I need to. Um, maybe I'll be able to answer that a little better later on when the event is run and I've time to digest.
0: Just don't do what I did a few years ago at a GAA event where there was loads of noise in the background and somebody said that I was a great ambassador for Ireland and I heard them saying you're a great embarrassment to Ireland so it was almost a punch-up. Just one last thing now that I forgot about. Um, you're, you've written plays yourself that have been performed here in Stockholm. How would you describe your own work and
1: your relationship to it? my own work in relationship to Irish literature in general no just your own like why you write plays yourself and what you hope to achieve with them. Um, what I hope to achieve with them is worldwide fame and adoration <laughs> <All> the time <laughs> um, why do I write them because it's in my blood I've, I've uh, I think I was three or four years old and uh, one of the one of the neighbours in the street, we were just running around playing football or whatever, or walking around to the shops or something. Somebody said, "Well, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "Well, meh, I don't know. I said either an explorer, an actor, or a writer." Um, the exploring bit, well, that, that's sort of come true. I'm, I'm sort of out in the out in the world, far from my origins. Um, and acting and writing has always been there, as part of me. So that's uh, that's why.
0: We hear the microphone in the background there, so we'll put a stop to this. Niall Balfe from Spuds and Seal, playwright, actor, explorer. Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.
2: Varför kunde kapitlet öppna? Kapitel 11. Ja, jag ska tala om det elfte kapitlet, sirenkapitlet idag. Joyce har knutit det här kapitlet till öra,
0: till hörseln. Ljud hör vi överallt i det här kapitlet. Ljud av alla beslag. Some of the sounds there from the celebration of Bloomsday, June the 16th in Stockholm. And
1: you know, it's
0: it's always weird when you're making a podcast. And I have to say, these are all lovely people, right? I love every single pair of ears that wraps itself around this podcast every week. But there's times you don't get a whole lot of feedback, lads, right? Um, Claire King, I have to say, is brilliant. She will tell me what she likes and what she doesn't like and if there's a fault in the audio or that kind of thing. But sometimes you talk about things and you wonder, Jesus, you know, are people interested in this at all? Like, you know, are they interested in this subject or am I just bringing it up? And it struck me that over the last, whatever, six, seven, eight months that we've been doing this podcast, and I've spoken about Ulysses. Many times the James, we read James Joyce book that has been celebrated around the world by embassies and by the Department of Foreign Affairs and by people like Niall Balfe that we heard from there and the gentleman there speaking Swedish, talking about um, chapter 11 of Ulysses and, and the importance of sound in it. and. Jesus, I don't think I've ever talked so much about a book that I've never managed to finish reading myself. And I think Mark Ennis was there at that reading in Ronell's, and we were just talking briefly before I interviewed Niall there, and he was saying the same thing. And it's a very odd thing that it's like, for some reason, it's kind of like, you know, when you find an artefact in fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, like, you know it's important. But you you don't know, you can't put your finger on why, because you haven't managed to get stuck into it. And this year in particular, because it was a hundred years since Ulysses was published, I don't think I'm alone in finding myself thinking, Jesus, what is it? Like, you know, what is it I don't get here? Um when I was down with Niall and uh the people from Spuds and Sale and the Joy Society of Sweden and Finland at Runnells, I was down there around lunchtime on Bloomsday last Thursday. And I took some photographs and I put them out on an Instagram story, uh, my own sort of personal Instagram story. So not the one for the podcast. Um, And a friend of mine, Pete C. Carroll in Dublin, got back and goes, look, I'm sorry, I've tried to read it 10 times. It's not happening, you know. And I've tried to read Ulysses. I'm trying to read it again myself. And uh, it's, you know, I'm I'm not going to use the word difficult. That's not fair because the book is there. It's just words, right? Get into it. Um, But one of the things that I found very beneficial was the Monday prior to Bloomsday, the 13th of June, The Irish Embassy had organised an event at Scala Theatre, not too long, not too far away from uh, where this beautiful podcast is recorded for you every week at St. Explorer. So I was back here in my little office and I toddled down there for half past six and I met Pauling and I met Matilda and I met loads of other lovely people. Yet I was down there Um, and there was an event organised by the Irish Embassy and it was called Ulysses for Psychonauts and it was Connor Habib, the Irish-American podcaster, Uh, who has i think as the ambassador gormley paraphrasing now put it he has a very colorful past right google Connery you'll find out what he's up to great bloke but he worked in a bookshop when he discovered ulysses and he discovered the writings of joyce and that and he put on this really good talk about how to read the book or what you should expect from it and one of the things that i sort of took away from that is that you know they talk about you know there's this sort of thing in, in literature or in writing called stream of consciousness where you just write down the first thing that comes into your head, right? But Joyce was doing like a really, really refined version of that. So basically he was writing the way we think and feel and experience the world. And when I took that into account and I picked up Ulysses again this week, it made a lot more sense. So you know the way you'll be standing at a bus stop, uh, or you might be waiting on the tunnel, bar, or you might be, uh, you know, standing there waiting on the bus Luleå in Lulio, and the, like you just realise, Jesus, it's not getting dark here at all. And then you think, you know, summertime. And then all of a sudden you're back in the summertime in your youth in Tullamore or, or in Turles. Or, or something that, you know, some place you've visited. It might be, you know, West Cork or, or something like that. You're thinking of that, you know, the the light in the dark, like, like the light in the night sky when it should be dark and that kind of thing. And then the feelings that are associated with that, you know, was it warm, was it cold, was it wet, was it raining, you know? And all of those things come in in what Joyce has tried to do and they're just they're just put there, right? And you have to find your own way through them, no more than you have to find your own way through, your own thoughts every day, right? And it's challenging. It's not like fucking Dan Brown or the Da Vinci Code where you just read it and you turn page after page after page. A great book, fantastically entertaining. But a bit like uh it's a bit like eating fast food when what you really want is a good big Sunday roast, right? So Ulysses to me is a good big Sunday roast. It takes time to digest you may, not li- you may not like all of it. There may be a few veggies there that are thrown on the plate that you're not a big fan of, right? But get them into you. Give it a go anyway, if nothing else. Because, you know, I mean, Joyce wasn't an alien. Like, he was a Dubliner. He was an Irishman. He was a writer, you know. So, I mean, it, it can't have been that complicated. You know, we are, uh, for some reason, you know, as a Swedish-Irish community or as people with an interest in Irish culture and literature, I like to think that it's in our DNA or that it's somehow hardwired into us to have some semblance of understanding of what it is he's doing but anyway we leave that there and we'll get back i'm sure to the subject of Joyce so we'll get up to Bloomsday next year but i promise i'll try not to mention it for a while and we'll get on to a book of an entirely different kind now so uh a few months ago there's certain people that I've known for a long time, boys and girls, and I've wanted to interview them for a long time. So when the podcast started up, you kind of have a list, an Excel sheet, and you go, right, you just write down names, you know, because, you know, you just know that they do interesting things like that. Some of them want to appear in the podcast, some of them don't, and that's fine too. By the way, sure, I may as well remind you that this is a listener-supported podcast. So if you can go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. And support it there for five or a month, right? It's not even the price of a cup of coffee if you're going to Espresso House. Or certainly not a cup, a cup of coffee and any bun with any self-respect whatsoever. You just wouldn't get it for that, right? For that, you get all the podcasts I do. The Premier Swedes one, the Ironman Stockholm one. You get the Irish and Sweden podcast. And there'll be another podcast coming out now probably towards the end of July uh, for the global Irish community. Keep that to yourselves now. Don't, you know, don't go telling anybody about that just yet until it's out. So, yeah, so hopefully there'll be somewhere around, you know, 8, 10, 12 podcasts coming out every month there for 5 euros, 50 crowns, right? If you can't do that, swish, one, two, three, two, four, two, four, one, six, six. see if you can throw a few bob there, you can pay, you know, if you can throw in 500 crowns and swish, grant, that's you done for the year, I won't come back. You don't ever have to feel bad when I'm talking about these things every month, you know, you can go, okay, just rip through that, yeah, let them get to the end of that, you know. Uh, that's great Uh, advertising and sponsorship still waiting for the big companies out there lads Uh, irish and sweden podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on linkedin or facebook or instagram or in Veersum's pub our wonderful sponsors of this wonderful podcast and talk to me about it there because um you know it was it was kind of getting tiring there for a little while but uh, i still love bringing these podcasts to you and talking uh, to you and bringing this next guest to you so like i was saying um, you contact people And certain people can do things straight away They can do it the next day That was a little bit how it was With uh, with Carl that time Carl Murphy the musician And it just so happened that uh, One person cancelled their interview And Carl was at home So we ended up talking to him And then Alan McCaughey that you heard last week Ragnar that you heard last week They were all people I wanted to talk to for a long time. But um, this is probably the one, the interview that I've waited the longest for, right? And there's a reason behind that. So Ian Maloney's from County Wexford, a uh, musician and a very good musician and a songwriter and a very good songwriter at that. And he's been here for God knows how long. And so uh, he's been over here. He's acted as a booking agent. He's become a photographer. He's done all manner of stuff over here. And I asked Ian a good while ago, I said, uh, Do you want to appear in the podcast? I'd love to talk to you about your life in Sweden and music and everything else like that. And then he says, uh, not right now. And I went, why? He says, well, because I've written a book. And I went, ah, brilliant. And I really hoped that it was a book about him and his life and his existence. And sure enough, it was. Right. Now... I had hoped that he might call it something other than what he did call it, which is Bastard Boy, right? So always <laughs> very hard to get the ambassador or, you know, a visiting dignitary to sort of do something with that. But I'm sure they won't mind too much. I'll put it this way. If you've had Connor Habib talking about Ulysses, you won't mind presenting a book called Bastard Boy. But um, yeah, so, and then Ian was generous enough to give me a copy of the book uh, in advance of it coming out, and I got to read it. And it's, like, we're of a similar age. I'd say Ian is probably a couple of years younger than me, but we come from that music scene that was in Ireland at the late 80s, early 90s. And I think, actually, I was in a band that won a hot press competition in, like, 95-ish. I think Ian may have won it the following year. Geez, you, know, you never know, I might even get that question out of him in the interview. Um And it was a special time in Ireland. And, of course, then a few years later, Ian wound up over here and I wound up over here. But it's a fascinating read. And he's just an incredibly deep and interesting and talented and sometimes angry and sometimes hilarious person. So I wanted to get him on the podcast. Now he uh, published a book himself. It uh, was back in Wexford where he's from and published at the beginning of May. And we had hoped to do a sort of a live event where we could do a live podcast. But lads, the way SE is going and the way the airports are going and everything else like that, I fucking don't want to leave home at this point, right? Uh, I am going to try to find out a little bit more information about what we should be doing with Orlando over the summer, but hopefully that'll be in next week's podcast. I haven't had a whole lot back from them just yet. But in the meantime, let us travel to the West Coast, or the best coast, as people in Gothenburg call it, and we'll have a little chat uh, uh, with Ian Maloney about books and about pictures and about music and what it was that brought him here to this wonderful country and indeed what it is that keeps him here.
2: Standing alone with a broken guitar and there's people calling out for more They're asking for the songs I never listened to When I was young I'm swimming and I'm swaying from the hall. Feel like my legs will leave me any time Well, I hope the lights go down I'll turn off my guitar and my mind And they say, do you know the words to Sweet Home Alabama? You know the lead break in Hotel California. You know that song that every band plays. It goes, Sha La 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 I hate those fucking songs.
0: I suppose the obvious first question is, why bastard boy? Um, well, yeah, uh,
2: it was it was a very sore subject with my uh, parents, to be honest, because...
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine you were sitting there going, this is going to look deadly and easy.
2: <laughs> well, put it this way, there was only one paper, uh, newspaper in, in the, south, the south of Ireland. They even, even gave me a square column inch because of obviously the title. You know, it was like, right. the, the, you know, the typical conservative media, blah, 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 you know, but you, but, you, but you know yourself, Phil, bastard boy in um in Ireland, is, it can be a term of endearment, especially in Wexford, it's, it's like, you're some bastard boy, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean, that was brilliant, some bastard boy, and basically what happened was I was playing one night drunk uh, in Wexford, and, and the guy, he, he used to, Ray Connolly, he used to beat the tables when i play in a pub, and he just turns up and the sweat poured off and He said to me, You're some bastard boy. And I loved it. I loved it. You know, it was like it was a yeah. term of endearment, but at the same time, it was one of those, uh, you know, uh, terms that it's either, it can go either way, you know.
0: So, yeah. Like, he was I mean, telling you he loved it, you it, without telling you he loved you, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, basically. But it's like, uh, so, um, and I knew that if, if to, to, um, to grab anybody's attention, look, we can all go, we could say, Sharon Bolton's new book, The Craftsman, is out. You go, okay? Happy days, you know. Yeah. Then you like, go, <laughs> you know, then you go like uh, Ian Maloney, you know that that, that loony tune from uh, Wexford that plays over in Sweden. He's ever released the book, you know. He called it Bastard White. I mean, it's going to grab more attention. I mean, the paperback sold out, you know, straight away, almost in uh, in a matter of uh, two weeks less. That, yeah, yeah. So I was quite pleased with that. Unfortunately, on on the Amazon version is that uh, after going over everything with a, a fine tooth comb. And it's, the next thing I see, it's uh, the, it's got the you know the the, the headers and footers in, and I went, mean, oh god, yeah. you know, yeah,
0: so what can you? Is that, do? is that the ebook version? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Don't so
2: just anybody don't don't get that one. I'm gonna put up the the Swedish version. I will have to revise the whole uh, the yeah. Amazon version. So yeah, that's on the cards for the next couple of weeks anyway.
0: Yeah, the, the ebook thing is amazing because, like you know, it sounds really easy. Oh, you, know, you write your book, you publish your book, but Jesus, it's a hell of a process when you're doing oh. it. You know, I, I mean, I but the, thing, but the, the thing is,
2: even with the, even with the print of the of the book, the paperback, people might say in due course that, oh, well, we have the first edition. I mean, I sent because of it's set in Ireland, basically to an extent. That I would uh, I would get uh, like to get it printed in in Wexford as to get just give it a little bit of boost to the economy. You know, I'm over here paying my taxes. All you know, it's based in Wexford. Started off in Wexford, a lot Wexford of I, yeah. I kind of owe a lot to people in Wexford, so I said I'll get it printed in Wexford, but generate a little bit into the economy. And they asked me for the, the dimensions of the book, and I sent the dimensions of the book. They never, I never got a paper copy till I got there in Ireland under a, a two days before the release. And the, and the, the print size was like you need a, a magnifying glass and a bag <laughs> of car- a bag of carrots to read it. You know what I mean? So it was like. <laughs>
0: I was disgusted. You know, it's it's one of those things that like, you know, it becomes a new story for the next book because when you do yeah. these things independently and you're a very sort of independent individual, not least, you know, the title will tell listeners, you know, <laughs> the kind of guy that you are. But why did you feel now, you know, why a book now, Ian? Because, you know, there's always this thing of, all, well, you know, everybody has a book in them and most people should fucking leave it there. But the moment <laughs> you told me that you were writing a book, I went, I want to read that. I, don't, I want to read that before everybody else. What made you think that... Said, fuck it! I'll write all this down.
2: Do you know what it was when COVID came in? And I was probably—I don't know—I I got COVID in March 2020 when it just kicked off. And uh, I was—I was, I was extreme... So You're
0: such a fucking hipster. I had COVID before I was popular.
2: <laughs> I had it when it was hip to have it. Well, I—I got—I got it. Re, I got extremely bad. You know, bad, hit, hit, badly hit with it. And uh, I lost, like, six kilos in five days. And I was like, I thought, this is it. I'm a goner. I felt like I didn't get the lung thing, but I, I had a fever and felt like I was on a ship, a burning ship in the North Sea, being thrown from here to there, bang, bang. And I was I was lost. And my 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 family were, had the door was locked because they were told to do that. And, and I couldn't eat. So all this thing about buying toilet paper was a pointless uh, endeavor for anybody, you know? So <laughs> they throw in a a pingaling or whatever, called, one of those ice lollies into me every now and then. I tried to open it just to try and get the sugar and, 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 and liquid into my body, you know. Couldn't Jesus. even drink water. I thought it was I thought it was a goner. So what happened was, I got, you know, the vaccination game, took the vaccination and blah, blah, blah. Then I said, oh, there's a new virus, Omicron. And I was like, oh my God. And then my gig started going, uh, I'd get a phone call from Phil in Stockholm. Sorry about this, Ian, but we're going to have to get rid of Upsala. The old dog, we're going to have to be blood. and I said, oh, okay, I understand this. We can't travel. And then I was getting a phone call from Malmo. Sorry, Ian. Denmark. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ian. Finland. Sorry, Ian. And then I was like, okay, so I'm in Gothenburg. And thankfully, Ian McGlinchey, as you know, former Dubliner Empire, uh, yeah. he said to me, he said, uh, Ian, let's just do the residency here. And and then it got to the stage where it was 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And then it was just, it was a pointless exercise for anybody to, um, uh to, to have music and uh I basically my wife was at the making dinner here in the kitchen and she said that. and her friend rang up she had the phone on uh speaker phone, speaker. Yeah? and she's and the girl said oh would you come and work with us as a receptionist in uh in uh folk and i okay. went to my wife i went no 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 you work in the supermarket people need food blah 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 i said don't you know this this you know this and she so she was and I went, jokingly, I went, I will. <laughs> right. oh. So the next day I get a phone call from uh, Folk Tanvor saying, hey, I heard you have interest in working with us. I went, yeah, yeah, I hadn't a clue who was ringing me. <clears throat> I thought it was a venue. So uh, yeah yeah and he goes, do you mind if we do a police check? And I went, this is a very weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing I'm I'm in work. I'm in working in is there a basically a glorified receptionist in Folkhalmvarden here in Gothenburg,
0: which is a dental and, surgery basically. Yeah right?
2: yeah. And uh, I was sitting there and, uh, I sitting there and uh, next they started talking about Omicron viruses and this virus is going to come and this one is going this this and I was like oh, and I said I have to write my daughter. She's she was nine at the time or eight and I said I'm going to have to write something to her to tell her where I'm from, who I am, what I'm about. Yeah. Who she is if anything happens to me because I'm I'm no spring chicken there, mm. and uh, I said okay. And as I start writing the book, I went I can't tell her that. <laughs> and then I went on a little bit further, and I went I can't tell her that. And then I went on about the Christian Brothers and stuff. I was going oh, those bastards. <laughs> and I was like so. The next thing the book just turned into a, a like a social commentary of the seventies, eighties, nineties, and I was my part in the music, growing up with the music. So mm. everything that I listened to, like the ska. You know, Dexys, Two Tone, everything, uh, rock, every, every, just every genre of music back in the eighties. Which everything was good then. Mm. In the seventies, eighties, music was fantastic. Late seventies into the eighties, fantastic. Cure, Smiths, everything, and it turned into a book. Mm. And then I, I, I was like two hundred and something pages in, and I went, Phew. and, I, and I, you know, and, and the hardest part was my dad. He's a he's a like a journalist and and uh, print in the printing trade for all his life, and I had to send him a copy, and that was like, quite a a tough thing to do, you know, like you go, oh my God, he how is, he's going to read this. I and mean, I every mean, yes. I mean, I mean, said, I realised my illness was neurotic, drug-addled, alcoholic lunatic.
0: <laughs> so like, how how much you, of this... I
2: always thought you were like a quiet one.
0: <laughs> yeah, but how much of the detail would he have known? Like, would this have come as a surprise now? I think... Uh,
2: yeah, he came as a surprise, but he said to me, you know, don't change anything. He said, you know, and he said, he said there's a few things in there, one paragraph where you have the, too much of the F word. And so he said, you're not Roddy Doyle, so take that out. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, all right, fair enough. And so I, I couldn't, I couldn't not but agree with him, you know, so
0: yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, did you... Yeah, yeah, we were book, saying in the yeah. beginning there because, because Evie is obviously... How old is Evie now? She's 10 now? She'll be 10 next Monday. Yeah, yeah. 10 next no, Monday, okay. So you're writing this as a sort of a historical document to Evie. I love that idea because you know your audience, right? This is to explain yeah. the story of how you grew up. And I think it's a kind of a crucial thing for a lot of us, especially the older listeners here, of yeah. our kids knowing who we are and where we come from. But did you ever think, you know, uh, was there stuff you left out, Ian? Is there stuff that you're only going to tell? There's, me? There's
2: stuff, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I left out, but I'm, I'm still, I'm still uh, playing with the idea of doing, you know, the second part, you know, that I have in my head, you know, the old Smiths lyric uh, from the Queen. I think it's, you know, Caligula would have blushed. You know, yeah. the second part when I've actually got to Scandinavia, but I don't think I could even, I could write it, but I'll be disowned by everybody. <laughs>
0: this this is the problem about telling the truth, really, isn't it? It's like you yeah, know. Just I mean, know most people know it anyway.
2: You know yourself, Phil. You've been on the, on, on the tours over here, and I was thinking. I, but what? But I do have an idea of, of basically um, doing a, a, a documentary. You know, I got some film cameras and stuff, and I'm thinking about doing the effect of like a social document, like a social documentary, mm. uh, maybe three parts over, um, and try to get a TV company. To get involved and maybe yourself, and because you've been around the, the, the block, and uh, basically what it is is we go and interview the old musicians and uh, the new musicians, the old pub owners, the the, the empire chains, the blah blah blah, and and the the effect of Irish and UK uh, music and culture on Swedish culture since the early nineties, mm. and that's my that's my next uh, project anyway. So it's uh, I'm trying to trying to scale it out now and see how I'm going to work it out and you know get the info and you know yourself so.
0: Yeah, it's, it was one of those things. It's always getting funding for these projects. The ideas are always there and they're always brilliant, but it's getting actually getting the thing made. Yeah. How do you find the process of writing? Because songwriting is one thing, and you go into great detail about your own career in the music business and the whole yeah. thing of imposter syndrome and all that, that sort of stuff. If anybody's considering joining the band or starting yeah. up music, it's absolutely brilliant. But did you find it very different, Ian, to songwriting, to actually sitting down and putting your thoughts on paper in the long form?
2: Oh, absolutely! I mean, with, with with songwriting, you you can you can be a girl, a guy. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're, as you said, it's, it's imposter syndrome. But when you're writing about yourself and your own career, and I mean, as I said, I, I didn't have a commercial career. Didn't, I? but uh, I mean, it was quite you know it was uh, in in parts hysterical and uh, f- f- you know sad, and I just felt that i was speaking to a guy back in in wexford and he said to me oh my son is playing in a band now and the first thing i said to him i sounded like my dad i said get an education don't do anything Hmm. before you before just get an education first and something to fall back on don't jump into this i know you're a great guitar player but don't jump into this with uh, both eyes closed you know yeah so um it was kind of like that was kind of in the in the back of my mind as well and i just thought if i could I would do the same all over again, no doubt, because I'm mean, obviously, you know, that's the the, the way I am. But mm. um, I think if I if I was going to tell anybody, I said just get an education, you know, first of all. And if you really want to do this, give it, you know, three to four years and do it in part time until mm. you'll 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 find. You. I mean, now it's it's pointless going into a feed first. The venues after COVID are not paying the money. Yeah. You know, uh, when when the only way of making money these days is touring, now that the the venues have decided, you know what, I could give that guy 1,300 kroner a night instead of the four grand he was getting before COVID, you know, and that's the way it's gone.
0: Before, so it has just, become a sort of a, a part-time pre- profession because like obviously the pubs and the venues they want to make the money they feel that they lost during the pandemic they're trying to yeah. make that back by cutting yeah. costs and that you know yeah. and when you sat down you write the first draft of a book like that you sent it to, to me you sent it to your dad and that kind of thing well how did you feel when you read it back because sometimes when you're sitting in the flow of writing you go yeah this is great this is great this is great and then you read it back and you either go that's shite or, I'm embarrassed, <laughs> or I fucking have to take that out because the lawyers will kill me. Like, how would you feel when you read it back the first time?
2: Um, I, 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 I didn't feel connected to it. You know, it was kind of like an exorcism of sorts. So when yeah. you, when you, when you write it, it's, it's gone. It's like when you do a song, you know, you'll hear people, people say to me, oh, it must be great, you know, playing, uh, loud. and I said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't play it anymore. And they yeah. go, why? He said, well, you know, it's belonged to the public. Now it's, it's gone. Yeah. It's, um, and for me, I, it was like a cleansing of, of sorts. It was like yeah. um, all that little stuff that used to niggle at you until, you know, a certain age. And then when you wrote about it and it's gone, I don't I don't feel any guilt now. I don't feel any sadness or sympathy or anything. You know, it's, it's done now. That's it. It's, that was nice. It's an experience and it's over with. But is, is
0: that is that a relief to you then, Ian? That oh, you know, absolutely.
2: You're... Oh, yeah, I'm 100, 100%. I mean, now it's like after getting rid of that, because, I mean you have a lot of people coming up now who they go oh Ireland oh, I love to play especially here in Sweden Denmark and Finland they go like, oh some Irish music and they don't realize you know one time you myself we were we were best band in Ireland you were the best band of the year before me I was the band the band at yeah. the year after you I mean yeah. we've been on on the cusp of of you know becoming hugely commercial yeah and basically due to uh, you know not bowing down to uh, those in the, the Almighty positions of um you know, writing your name on a, on a contract. Yeah. We never, we never got that, that uh, opportunity. So
0: um, I remember sitting in the boar's head in Dublin, the oldest pub in in the city with a contract for a half a million pounds on the table. Yeah, yeah. And we took it away to the lawyers. And before we got the chance to sign it, the record company had gone bankrupt. And at that stage, I think oh, that yeah. was, that was probably around the time that you were mm-hmm. sort of at the height of it with, with Cousin Bill, around about late 96, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, that started. That was the beginning of the end for me. You know, I kept playing for another three or four years, but that just that was like being hit by a fucking car. And you know, you think know, everything know. you worked for for ten years, all the tiny little, you know, driving to Galway and back in the one right. night just to play in the Rosy you know, and that kind of, and it was just soul destroying to have that sort of whipped away. You know, and that sort of affected me for years. And I do think that what you were saying earlier on there, getting education and that kind of thing, that you know, it really is. There's a lot behind it because you know, there's so much to do with the songwriting and the playing is like five percent of it. You know, the rest yeah, of it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It's technology, it's all that, you know.
2: I mean, when you look at it now, Phil, compared to, I mean, you've, been, you've like, like me, we, we went into the studios in Temple Bar and we spent, at that time, like huge amounts of money on yeah. demo tapes that were probably never going to be heard because even the thoughts of releasing something yourself was unheard of, unless yeah. John Peel was ever saying you should get a little rough trade deal or something independently. Yeah. And those didn't happen. And the only ones that did that in Ireland, I think, were... Um, the, you know the major not major but there was mother records i think that was the only one that was kind of like an indie kind of label and you know you you had owl records were down in bray and they'd pick like the 10 best up-and-coming acts and you'd have to pay them an x amount of money to yeah. um you know get yourself on a cassette you know that nobody was going to see anyway yeah and then all of a sudden it, it's just now you have like kids where they can go on youtube they can they, they sit in their bedroom and, and half an hour later, they've, you know, they've got starting to go like click, 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 200,000 hits, two hundred you know, because they've yeah. sang somebody else's song. They get the royalty for it, the performing royalty for it. And it, it's, you know, and yeah. we were, you know, we didn't have, we didn't even have Wi-Fi. I mean, we we had to bring maps, you know, yourself sitting in the front of a van with a map and you're, you know, you look at yeah. Where do we, we're Stockholm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> quarter inch tapes and this kind of thing. You know, yeah, no, we we're supposed to go the legendary John Higgins of Blackwater Music, who, you know, well, i and booking well. a tour and me thinking I was going to drive the van, except that, you know, you couldn't drive a van on a provisional driver's license in Sweden and so, this kind of yeah, stuff. Like, yeah. But how well did that that scene that you played for? And I mean, one of the things that I said about the book was I could feel myself being there when you were playing your first gigs when you were in school yeah. and the pubs that you played in, in Wexford, I could feel myself standing in the audience watching. It. It's that well described So anybody who has the chance when the e-book comes out bastard boy go get it right but how well or otherwise did that prepare you for getting to sweden and standing up on a stage and somebody going oh can you play country roads it's my favorite irish song it,
2: it, it didn't it, it was like soul destroying and i got i <laughs> mean it, it, it was i mean that the was, nicest
0: possible way but it was fucking horrible
2: yeah it was like i remember <laughs> i remember we got these days we were we were deciding what we do, how we do it. And someone said, oh, Little Sister Sage went over to Sweden. We're thinking that wouldn't be a bad idea. And we had heard about other bands doing Scandinavian tours. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do that. I was in a, in a steady relationship back in Ireland. had had, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the lad said, look, I've talked to this guy in Stockholm. And we, if we want, we have a 78 day tour. And I went, what? And he sent a fax and we saw all the money. And we go, holy Jesus. Yeah. I mean, we were getting like, you know, 200 quid for the gig, as you said, in in in, in the arsehole of nowhere.
0: Between thinking, five years kind of thing and whoever else you yeah, needed.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then you're looking at all this and we're going, whew, it's not bad. So we said, okay, we saw it. And we saw the pubs, Dublin or Gothenburg, Dublin or Stockholm, Molly Malone's Helsinki. We thought, ah, well, we are Irish. So obviously they're going to play in Irish bars because we're up-and-coming band. Yeah. And I remember going in the first night and I had saw a picture house had played a week or the month before us. The Cranberries had played just not too long before us, and their pictures were on the wall. And I got up on the stage and uh, we, we played. We hit the audience with our first set. And we got off the, or not the first set, our only set, got off the stage. And after about uh, 10 minutes, the, the, the barman flipped, they were good friends with. Now he comes over with his big, gruff of Belfast accent. And he goes, you think you're going? What you mean. So we're done now. That's it. We do the, you know, now we're in 15 minutes you'll be doing three more of them tonight. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, and where's whiskey in the jar? And I went, well, what do you mean whiskey? And he goes, he said, you better start getting, learning whiskey in the jar and everything. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh my God. And we sat on the steps of the Dubliner outside of the the, the, the venue and started learning whiskey in the jar right on Christy Moore. I was like, oh, Jesus, what What have we done to ourselves?
0: Day one of 78. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah and I was like this is this is this is this is not gonna this is not gonna work out I knew we had to throw in a couple of covers every now and then to keep an audience that don't know us I mean yeah but this this was like a this was like, I, I you know, I, I wasn't prepared for it. I, well, I think, it's
0: kind of like that thing when you hear that, the famous story about the Beatles in Hamburg and they played it eight nights a week and they played, you know, 25 hours a night and that kind of thing. And they were yeah, only yeah. playing Chuck Berry covers. as the same yeah. song forever, you know. And in one way, it makes you really, really good at it. But it's not when you first heard David Bowie in your house in Wexford for the first time. Yeah. That's not what you imagined, right? No. <laughs> so how did you get through that? You know, I mean, you're talking about two and a half, three months on the road. How did you get through that psychologically? Uh,
2: well, well, but I was lucky that we had the, the guitar player could had a good voice as well. So basically he started singing soul asylum songs that the audience liked. Uh, I think Save Tonight had just come out. So he learned that he was quite good. Yeah. So he would he would do he would do like a lot of songs that I just couldn't bring myself around to do. You know, I, I just, I just couldn't. You know, I just gotta I, I, "You'll have to do this." I just, I got to
0: vomit on the microphone. If you, make yeah, me yeah laugh, I got to just stand. I want
2: to stand back in the shadows. You know, I'm the front man, but I'm just going to lay back here. I'm come here as well. <laughs> Like Homer
0: Simpson going into the hedge, you know. Yeah, <laughs> with, his, with his guitar on, you know, good luck. Um, how did you? What well, I found that whole thing, right? Because it is, it's, it's not so much music or art as a war of attrition, Ian. It literally yeah. is the survival of the fittest, right? And we know Marco, yeah. the great Dutch drummer, who's been around these rows for maybe thirty years or more. Yeah. He's so solid, and that doesn't bother him. He'll play. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll do it four uh, sets a night, no problem, right? Uh, how did you find that in terms of you know? Like because I found it really difficult to to deal with the whole thing, like you know, the mechanics of a band where everybody's tired, everybody's hungry. Yeah. It literally is like going to war. And yet you're the one who's probably stayed in it, you know, the rest of the lads and cousin Bill don't really do that anymore, right?
2: No, I mean uh, basically I am I'm, I'm the last man standing to an extent. The lads, you know, one is living in Spain, the original band, one and the other two were living back in Ireland. Hmm. Uh, then you have the other ones that I that you know basically I be, became I became very mercenary like so I'd, I'd get people in, people out, people in, people out. Hmm. It was much better, I kept it fresh and I think that's why I, I've been at it so long. Yeah. And then again, as I said the, the 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 finance it was financially it was paying off a little bit. Um yeah where you're, I've been doing this job for 35 years, you know, I've been playing music for 35 years, I, you know, I mean, um, and, and and I've been quite lucky, you know, yeah. that uh, I've been able to, to hold this position as, as doing my favourite job, but as I said, with um, doing the whole, as you said, like going to war, after a while, it became, it became just like a job, nine to five, yeah. you clock in, and you clock out, but you make sure that You've done a great show so that you've got, you're going to get invited back again in, in three weeks, four weeks time. Mm. So, as I said, uh, John, John Hegan said to me once, he said, if I, if I could clone your DNA, I'd put you out on the road seven nights a week. You know, and I said, I know you would. I said you had
0: a right go at it was the, had you had <laughs> to get you out there. No.
2: But, of course but it's it's not, it was, you know, it, it was like, but it was tough. But now it's like, you know, um most of those venues have either hit the wall or closed, you know. And yeah. um, unfortunately, because I mean, I get a lot of calls from lads in Ireland, in the UK and, and elsewhere saying, you oh, know, we want to come over and do a Scandinavian tour. And I'm saying, well, if you can find the venues, lads, I'd be delighted because I can't even find them now, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how much has it shrunk? Because you pretty much took over from John. You were working with John. You were doing your own gigs, and then you were booking other gigs as well in you know yeah. in Oslo and in Molly Malone's yeah. and Helsinki. And this kind of thing. How much has the sort of the circuit shrunk now? You know, how many venues would you play in a month? And is it always the same places? Or I, it, you know, I, I, I
2: stopped. I stopped doing the travelling when when they stopped doing the. You know, I mean, you have a. You, there's an old saying: you have to speculate to accumulate. And some mm. of the bars have been have been taken over. The, the bars of, that we used to play and have been taken over by new owners. So it's not like the old owners from before. Yeah. And basically, it's like trying to haggle for money. And I don't want to haggle for money. If they had said, "This is what you were getting before COVID, you'll get the same when you get back," but instead, it was like, you know, I mean, what's the point in me going to Stockholm for mm. uh, and paying a thousand odd kroner for a train? Or even driving up, and then turn around, and you're getting less in for back for you know after paying tax, you're getting you know you're getting like seventy five quid basically, yeah. and I, I I don't want to do that. And so now basically I'll, I'll go to uh, Alberg in Denmark, I go to uh, Fagans in Malmo, and that's it. And Bing's Bistro, of course, here in, uh, that I have a residency in, in here in Gothenburg. Mm. So uh, that, that's as far as it goes for me, really. You know, I don't say yeah. uh, there's there's no there's nowhere left, Phil. It, it yeah. was like before you had. Like, you, you had from Os, from Oslo, you had, well, Strumstadt is still there, but you have a, that's, it's seasonal. We had Oslo, stromstad Uddevalle, Trollhattan, Jokteborg, yeah. down, right down, Varbury, Helsingborg, Malmö, Copenhagen, Odense, Esbjerg. the whole way you had, like, and then you're going across, you had, as you know yourself, you had Stockholm, shopping, uh, yeah. Jönköping, shopping, yeah. and then you had the... was uh,
0: one in London well, was... A, yeah. uh, yeah, I love, uh, well. yeah yeah, yeah. Like, places altogether.
2: I, that was the maddest one for me that was the that was the maddest gig i ever played i mean I, I turned around i had like it was here i think it was um february and i just thought ah you know what this miles Gothenburg is mild and then i got a call saying can you go and play in yevla and i said yeah oh no worries well i'll send over the flight tickets in a little while i going to flight tickets to yevla so that's okay. Maybe maybe the guy who owns the pub is a multi-millionaire and he just wants to show off his. Uh... <laughs> and I said okay, and uh, flew over to Stockholm. I just looked up GV, and I see the GV sign, gate one o three, go to it. Right, so I went over, jump on the plane, not thinking of anything, literally not thinking of anything, and I sit there and after an hour and a half, <laughs> I said to the girl, I said, are we circling around? She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm, you know this is taking an awful long time to land? She goes, Where do you think you are? I said, Well, I'm going to Yevla. She goes, Can I see your ticket? And I showed her the boarding card. She goes, Have you not read this? And I said, What? It was, I just saw GVE, you know. And she said, I said, You're going to Yevla. I said, Where's that? She goes,
0: She looked at me. She goes, The Arctic Circle. Yeah. You go to Santa's house and then take a <laughs> you know, left.
2: I, <laughs> and we, I got off and I had a hoodie and a leather jacket. It was like 36 minus. I said,
0: <laughs> Oh, Jesus. And a guitar.
2: And it was just, you know, it, you know, you know yourself, the adventures of that time though, on the road. I mean it's I mean you can you Know there was, so, there was so much of that. I mean, they, they, if I did write a book, people wouldn't believe it, they would
0: literally wouldn't believe it. But well, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure you know Dave Brown who uh, lives oh, in yeah, Las yeah. Vegas now yeah. and plays yeah. over there in the Mandalay Bay. And we were saying that we were going to do the same thing years ago, we're going to write a book, but we have to wait until everybody dies first, right? <laughs> <laughs> because a you can't libel the dead, and the other thing is they can't come after us for any other reason. But it's in the true. same way, I was over in Molly Malone's in Helsinki, which is right in the square, or not in Helsinki, in uh, in Tallinn, which is right on the square there. I don't know if you ever played yeah. there. You know? No, I've never. Play one, huh? And one night I you know, you had the lights in your eyes and everything else like that, they're bashing it out. And the next thing, some some American voice calls up, play Danny Boy, and I just left at them. And it was only when I came after the break that I realized these guys are built like brick shit houses. It was a tune <laughs> of Navy SEALs who were over there and exercise. I, yeah, I won't be doing that again, you know. But they, they were the kind of things that like you said, the people wouldn't believe them, uh, them. But one uh, of the things that I mean, the, the book is one thing, and your brilliant history in music is another thing, but a few years ago. I noticed on Facebook you started to get into photography. So there's literally nothing yeah. creative that you won't turn your hand to. So, <laughs> have you turned that into any sort of a business now, or is that just something? I, I, that- I did
2: it, but unfortunately, COVID hit that as well. You know, I, I was yeah. I was doing pretty okay with um, the photography, just doing family portraits and portraits. It was you know it kept my it kept well with a few sessions. You could buy a new camera, a new lens, and it kept me occupied. I had stopped. I stopped smoking. So basically, yeah. I had to find something to do. So I had an old iPhone. I was walking around, going, oh, that's nice." And I took a picture. And my brother uh, and my uncle, who were involved in photography, rang my wife and said, "Get him a camera for Christmas." Mm. You know, and she got me this little Lumix camera, and I love it. You know, and it's uh, and I really got into it. But I went head head first. You know
0: yourself. It's an expensive you, business, isn't it? You need long pockets. Put it that way. Yeah.
1: How about we? You, you to sort of oh, started taking. Care.
0: Yeah, I, I love it, because every now and again, you get up, I don't use Facebook much. And one of the few things that keeps me there is getting up and seeing the pictures that you take on your way home from your residency at Bean's Bistro in, yeah. in Gothenburg there, because there's some yeah. magnificent pictures of, of the harbour and of the empty streets at three or four yeah. o'clock in the morning, you know. So yeah. are you are you able to get back to that? Is that something you're looking to get back to now that the pandemic is, is over In inverted commas?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, obviously keeping my foot in the water with, or my toe in the water with, just with doing just f- with photography that'll never go away. But not the commercial aspect of it. I found that you know I'm not just saying about you. You take a picture and a girl comes and you go, can you make me face smaller, make me hair smaller, and you're just thinking, well, this you know this is who you are, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm a and, photographer, uh, I'm not God, pet.
2: Yeah, and uh, and basically, and then it was like you know you say to him, this is the price for 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour, and you know mm-hmm. they just go huh and I go uh, yeah I know that's that's what it costs I mean that's yeah. I got to pay rent on this studio and I got to pay this and I got to pay that you know it's not just you coming in and I taking all your money yeah. I've got to go home I've got to go home and do five to six maybe ten hours of editing on the picture so that you will be happy with one on your on your mantelpiece yeah and I just couldn't I couldn't deal with the whole uh, you know that kind of uh, just being completely fickle basically
0: you know. yeah it's kind of difficult I mean it's it's like this as well every podcast I have to tell people how they can sponsor it how they can support it and I fucking hate doing it but at yeah. the same time just because you create something just because you know you're using your imagination and your skills and that kind of thing it doesn't cost nothing right this big ass no. microphone here in front of me costs money your cameras cost money yeah. I'd imagine by now you have a fairly decent guitar a bit better than the one that you described buying as your first guitar and bastard boy I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, well, I'm looking at I'm looking at now I've got a I'm looking at two Gretsch yeah Jumbo. <laughs> yeah, your fucking
0: front room's like music maker on Wicklow Street there by now, you know. But all of these things cost money. Your time costs money. And yeah. the 35 years you spent learning to play whiskey in the jar in 15 minutes on a step outside the yeah. door, uh, all that has value. But it's very difficult to, to, to convince people. Why do you keep getting into things people won't pay for? Apart from, you know, being a, a receptionist for a dentist, you know? But yeah, the
2: other basically, I, I don't know. I I, I just couldn't. There was something about growing up in Ireland, as you know. And for me, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't ask for it, but I. I, you know, I just thought like nine to five. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Is this? Is this literally what it is? You get up at eight o'clock. You have. You rush. You have your breakfast. You rush in, wash your face, and run down to work. Come home. Your wife doesn't want to talk to you. Or your husband doesn't want to talk to you, and you're, you. You sit down. You've got five screaming kids because you can't get contraceptives, and you just. You just, And you're staring at an Opportunity knocks in Coronation Street till you go to bed, and that's it till you're sixty-five. And I'm, I don't need that. You know, <laughs> what do you do about No, and that was as a kid. I was like mm. eight, nine years of age when I realized this. And I was thinking, you know, why, what's to, if they, you know, they were saying, oh, why life is wonderful and this and that. You know? And I just thought, if life is so wonderful, why are you so sad and unhappy? Mm. You know, and uh, it's because it obviously, you know, Ireland was quite, you know, a country of habit, basically. Yeah. The day, you know, and like I mean, we
0: we do things the same way because this is what we've always done, you know. And I think that if you're in any way inclined to change things or to want to do something different, because it wasn't an easy path either. Because you know, you mentioned in the book as well that one of the things that I found difficult and that I found really good about coming to Sweden because in a way when we came over here, uh, and when we were younger men, we could reinvent ourselves, right? It it's didn't matter. True. You weren't bringing all the you're only bringing you know, maybe one or two lads out of your band with you, but you weren't bringing right. all the baggage for oh, that's Ian Maloney, you know, yeah. oh, I I saw him do this gig oh that band you know they really should have been great you know and so you could kind of park your failures at the border and just become somebody new you know
2: but it it wasn't wasn't just that phil but you have to remember that over here as a musician you are literally like it's not that you're part of the service industry they see it that way yeah i mean first you you, you pay your taxes you are the same as a waitress or a bar person or a bar manager or a pub owner We, we really we're no different so you know it's, it's it's like it's hand in hand. Yeah. But in Ireland, if you said you were in a band, they would. They just didn't. They wouldn't accept it. Is that? Yeah. And what's your real job?
0: Yeah. And I said, oh, oh, you want money for that? Ah, Jesus, come on, you know.
2: Yeah. Uh, so 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 what do you what do you do then during the day? Yeah. Well, I've just got home at four o'clock in the morning after playing down in in Clonakilty and Cork or somewhere. Uh, yeah. So and I'm going to play in Dublin tonight in Temple Bar. Yeah they go like so. Is that what? That's what you do with your day. You sleep all day. You go like, well, I kind of catching up. Yeah, I gotta. I've got. I gotta got sing.
0: Yeah, I work all night. <laughs>
2: that's. Yeah, I'm a vampire. I'm on the vampire shift. When you're at home, dreaming yeah. of uh, you know, blah blah blah.
0: Do you find you and, get more respect for 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 your trade being a working musician in Sweden than what you would in, in Wexford?
2: I mean, you still get it over here, where they say. And, and what do you do when you're not playing music? You know, and you, <laughs> here we go again. Yeah, and I yeah. said that, I, one of the reasons I, 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 that I wrote the book is that people should, should realize that when you get people like you or me or whoever, but I stuck at it. But there, and we're, people like me, there's not very many, if you if you know what I mean. There is a few, but instead of saying to them, what's your real job? They're they're, they're doing the real job. They're paying their taxes. They're going home to their wife and their kids. They're watching their, the, the same. They're watching Netflix on a Monday night when there's no gigs, Tuesday night. It's not different. I mean, and I just try to get through to people to get rid of that, that, that whole stigma of, of, of that are on, some on musicians that they yeah. have that as a full-time job, because it's not, you know, I mean, that's, that's not how it is. Mm. And unfortunately, because of that, it, it, now that music has gone so far down the rung of the ladder. Now you've got like, what's, what's the first thing people do doing to go home now put on Netflix years mm. ago. You go home and you go bought a new album today, or I have a new album I haven't listened to yet. Yeah. you know Now it's like that you're so far down the rung of the ladder that i um, you know, you're you're out there on the global scene in in minutes, not not in not not in years. You like I, I put up that Slack CD that I had from from the band I was in the early nineties. Mm. I went I went up last month uh, for to talk, with, talk, with the record company, and I said, "Okay, it's seventeenth of June." I never even bothered until last night to say when it came out. said, this is what I did. Mm. This is this is a, a, a part of the what I what I did in the early nineties. You know, mm. I had no I had no no you know. Oh, get out there and listen to my song. If they want to listen to it, listen to it. If they don't, they don't. You know. Mm. I mean, it's that's that's the that's the sad thing about it. I mean, it's it's not that I'm I, I, you know, you know you, I have to admire him, but I don't like his music. He's Ed Sheeran. Just one guy with a guitar. Go you know, off you go. You know.
0: Yeah, do we, I think? Well, at yeah. the same time, when it becomes so accessible, I mean, on the one hand, it's absolutely brilliant that you can write and edit and do the cover for your book yourself and put it out yeah. there. At the same time as. It's so easy for everybody to do it that there's no gatekeeper, there's no quality control, oh, there's no exactly, anymore. exactly, yeah. I, I was talking to um, Joe Rooney, who played uh, Father Demo and Father Ted before. I I know Joe as as a musician rather than an actor yeah. because he was in a band, yeah. a brilliant band called Guernica. I don't know if you ever got to see. I remember him, I remember
2: him very well. I remember a very
0: tremendous well. band, and they recorded an album which I spoke to him for another podcast I have, and hopefully it will come out s- s- at some point soon called Duke Street. Never saw the light of day. Brilliant, brilliant record, right? But I remember being in a dressing room with him and we were talking about uh, A&R is this expression in music, which means artiste and repertoire. repertoire yeah. And they said in the dressing room last night, they said, oh, there's an A&R man coming. And Joe said, does anybody know what A&R actually means? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it means assessment and rejection. Because at that time, you were so, they were the gatekeepers. They were the ones yeah, who did, yeah, 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 your yeah. record yeah. was going to end up in the shops. That doesn't yeah. exist anymore. And in a way it's brilliant because you can put out your, you can write a song now and you can have it out this afternoon with a picture that you've taken, look brilliant. But yeah. at the same time, there's a lot of people doing it It's hard to sort of climb above the noise. You've yes. done with the book on a local level. How has it been received in Sweden? Have you sold any copies in Sweden at all or done it with it? Yeah? Them? I mean,
2: I mean it, people, I mean, obviously it's 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 aimed at it. You know, I mean, but anyone, as you said, anyone who's grown up in a small town, picked up a guitar, will will get it, you know. Mm. It's um that's the way it is, but I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of like nice, uh, but mostly I'm getting it from Ireland. Just saying, uh, you know, I've only ever read one book before, and I've read your one, <laughs> you know, like a, and yeah. I've loved it. I was so I was sad when it, when it was finished, yeah, and I had other people saying, you know, that thanks so much for for jogging the memory yeah.
1: that I had forgotten
2: about all that, you know, when we were kids and. In in that certain area of the town, or or that certain you know some village in in, in West Cork or something. So thank you so much. We I, I this came back to me, yeah. and that's all I wanted to do. I don't want to like make a huge amount of money out of the book out. If, if it covered, it's covered its cost already. I mean, obviously, but as I said, uh, it's it's all I wanted to do is if you can bring a little bit of spark into someone's life for five minutes, that's all you want to do, you know. I'm not. I'm not interested in the. In the years ago, I was wanting the Ferraris, the Swedish wife. Well, I got the Swedish wife, didn't get the Ferrari, but you know what I mean. This is like, um, I, I I don't care about the, the. I wouldn't mind having just you know enough to just say, okay, I can lay, can relax a little bit now. I'll do a gig when I want to do a gig, or I'll yeah. you know, it obviously you know. But um, I don't want to be lazy either. That's the thing about it. I could if I had if I was financially right now to say I'm going to retire um, I, I I feel very lazy I, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself you
0: know, it, it, there is no <laughs> way right I just can't ever say I usually say to my wife you know that she she accepted 10 years ago that oh. I'm never going to retire right the day I retire will be the day they nailed the lid down on that box that's, because it, that's, the same. <laughs> it, that's the thing it's just not in you because you know the, when the gigs started to tail off and like I think you started photography and then when the pandemic hit you started writing a book you're not going nothing will ever make you lazy because no. you have this this sort of electric shanachie thing in you where you have to tell your stories Mm -hmm. you know I wanted to ask you you were really honest in the book and you know I was thinking about Evie being nine it should be ten next Monday right and you're next
2: month
0: month, sorry in August I thought it was next Monday but you're writing this book as a sort of an explanation to her of who you are it's your life story for her to read hope she hasn't read it yet but you were very honest about you know about drinking and experiment with drugs and that kind of thing do you how did you sort of weigh that up going, okay, because, you know, we all want to present something to the world, especially to our children, you know, uh, going, oh, yes, I was actually the perfect child growing up. You chose yeah. to tell the truth, which very yeah. few parents do. Have you had any re- reaction from your lovely wife, Madeline? Has Does Evie know any of this stuff yet? Or?
2: No, she doesn't know. And uh, when she's old enough, she'll not. She, she, but the thing was, I didn't want to, I, I, if, you know, if, if she reads that and she understands, she goes, okay, maybe it'll help her yeah. a little bit, on, on, you know, in, in life yeah uh, she, she knows the pitfalls she knows i'm not going to do that i'm not going to do this yeah. but i didn't want to be i didn't want to be one of those guys who's like like a stepford father you know you know just yeah. turn around and go i am perfect i am what you are <laughs> not that guy i want yeah. her to have a bit of um character and know who her who her dad was you know or mm-hmm. dad is when she gets to win there in a certain age to, to read it she can read it when she's like 16 17 but for no, not until then yeah, but uh, no, my wife knew. My wife knew it when she she's you know when I said I was then one of the reasons we're still together is because she was the first woman that I met that understood what I did for a living. Hmm. You know, the, I mean, look at you. I was a singer in a band. I was a lot thinner. I was you know blah blah blah. Get on stage and you're you're in Scandinavia. It's like a you know, wall to wall eye candy. You know, and you just go and coming from a small town in Ireland where it took you two years to get the courage up to ask a girl to go to the cinema. Yeah. You're over here and it's just a free for all. It's like you know, Jesus. And and the thing is, you're up on the stage. um, But I still retain that shyness that I did when I was a kid, you know? I can't just go to a girl, blah, blah, blah. But when your ego goes up a little bit and the other people just got a bit jealous, saying, ah, look at all these women up in front of you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, but, you know, it's nothing. It's fun. I get paid for it. Uh, But she was like, I I, I said, you know what I do for a living. So, you know, take it or leave it. She was like, actually, I know what you do for a living. Blah blah blah. That's what you do, Uh, and uh, we've that's why we get on so well, you know. Yeah. Uh, How did she
0: react when she read the book?
2: She hasn't read it all yet. She said she she wants the best of both worlds. She has she has read the start of the book, but she wants me to actually read her the book with my accent.
0: (laughs) Jesus, I'll tell you, there might be a market for that yet. Get on up on Audible (laughs) now. Amazon. She
2: she she said she said it will sound better coming from you. She said, I could read it and I'm, I'm going to get some of it and I'm not going to get some of it. So it's better that when I hear it from you, she goes, I'll I'll, it'll make more sense. Yeah. If you, if you heard
0: that, uh, the audiobook version of Sinead O'Connor's memoir is brilliant because she reads it. I always prefer like a biography when it's read by the person who actually lived it yeah, yeah, uh, because the cadence is right and the accent is that's right. Exactly, that's good, yeah, yeah. good woman, Madeline. I'll tell you, she's as talented as she is. Good looking, that girl, you know. <laughs> Have you plans to read the rest of it to her now or or will she just, I was, I was, I just feature maybe, like, in it, does she? she like uh, this is uh, before uh, she came. This, After
2: the summer is over, I'll do it all right, you know. So it'll I'll have time to sit back and and, uh, absorb that I actually did a book. I I, I forgot. I've I've forgotten already that I've written a book, you know, that kind of way.
0: Do you ever give (laughs) give yourself credit, Ian, for, you know, I mean, I know we can sit here and we can complain and say, oh, you know, there's no money in gigs or journalism or that kind of thing. But between us, there's a bunch of books and music and events and things and people and stories. Do you ever Mm. stop? And give your credit, give your you know your thirteen, your fourteen, your fifteen year old self credit for the man and the father and the musician and the writer and the photographer that you become.
2: But you know, being Irish, you're not allowed to do this.
0: <laughs> we don't have to tell anybody.
2: You can just tell <laughs> no. me. No, but I, I, no, I'd say, I, I'd say, I, I basically, if I was to say to my thirteen or fourteen year old self, you know, sitting at home listening to Ziggy Stardust, you'll scrape by. You'll be all right. Yeah. You know, you'll 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 be fine. But don't don't worry too much. You'll scrape by. You'll get there you know yeah. I, I didn't want to d- don't want to go back and say like oh it's gonna be fantastic because you know it, it's it's um, in this world of of, of you know um touring constant touring the chasing the elusive uh, record deal up to a certain age till you realize i don't even need a record deal and even if i got one even if they came up and now and offered me one i'd probably turn it down mm. i'd say nah you know what i don't need all that you know not to work but i don't need to have a guy who's younger than me telling me what to do When I've been with my songs, yeah. Well, I've been doing this for long enough. The commercial aspect, of course, it would be fantastic, but it's, I mean, who buys music anymore? You know, you've got, Mm. you know, you've got 15 different, I had this like for the record, I mean, 15 different streaming sites you have to, you know, that you want to say, okay, well, yeah, I'll do it with that one, I'll do it with that one, Mm. you know, and then you look and you get enough for a Mars bar every year. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I got a royalty payment the other day, my friend. Twenty-seven Swedish crowns. That's uh, for two euro fifty cents. Delighted. I won't spend it all in the one shop. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't.
2: I haven't checked my Amazon one, but I, I checked. I checked the right copy one the other day for the last one. I did. I think it was like. I think it was hundred and seventy kroner sixty you're <laughs> a millionaire. That Ferrari
0: can't be too far off now, you know.
2: Oh, uh, we can't wait now. Another fifty million dollars I get.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another fifty million. Somebody has to be able to write as a script somewhere where they just keep playing Slack uh, I mean, sax- that's,
2: that's the sad thing. But you know, I think I think Spotify. I mean, being a Swedish company as well, uh, you know. I mean, they can go and they can go and buy a, a Arsenal football st- a football team. Well, mm. I mean, the people who who've paid for that is people like me and you, and mm. you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know a little bit more pay or even like another retainer as such. But to say, look, if you get X amount of this, you get that. But I mean, you turn it around and you need, oh, if you hit 10, 10 million uh, streams, you get, you know, a thousand pounds you're going like, fucking hell. A thousand pounds for 10 million streams? Yeah. I mean, 10 million, 10 million sales years ago, you didn't have to work anymore.
0: Oh, you were done, you know. I always said that Shane McGowan, right in Fairy Tale, New York. That's it. I would have just packed it in. You know, that's good luck. Oh,
2: absolutely, I would have turned around. I mean, if I
0: had one hit wonder, then I go and, like
2: people say, ah, ah, he was. It wasn't that great, you know. It was just a one hit wonder. And I'm thinking to myself, oh,
0: happy day it, It'll you do know? me, you know. <laughs> I'm just wait, such wait. Where, uh, where do you see yourself in, in 10 years, if that's the case? Because like I you say, you'll scrape by. Um, I mean, you have a lovely family down there. You have a fairly decent lifestyle. You're able to talk to me in the morning, you know, which is not too bad. We don't have to talk to normal people. We can talk to each other. <laughs> but, but where do you see yourself? I mean, you know, we've said that we're not going to retire. What do you want to be doing in 10 years' time? Um, well, I, I want
2: to be involved somehow in, in either, you know, photography, music, um, maybe booking music, maybe being a bit more of a I can't say a, ment- a mentor of sorts but I mean you know I'd like to see live music making a comeback that, mm. to the extent that it was a few years ago I mean look people say oh well I'm getting a gig here and I'm getting a gig there gonna, yeah but I mean it's not the same as what it was mm. I mean you can see Springsteen's coming over you've got you've got Iron Maiden next you know in a couple of weeks time you've got and they're they're touring constantly I mean they're setting up stadiums but I'm talking about musicians who are at our level mm. where one time you had like a um, hundred, hundred venues in Scandinavia that you could pick and choose from because I'm not going there. I don't like it. And then you know, and you've got ten other ones to choose from. Now it's like I've got one venue I have to go to. You know that kind of way, which I I won't anyway. But um, I would like to be to be to give promote a little bit more. You know, Yes, yeah, do some bookings and maybe even get some more venues. Um, out to the public, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to get some more musicians involved. About- I'd like to do another book actually, uh, this time non fiction, you know, which I have I have an idea in my head anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I'm gonna start work on that next week. So
0: it's called Amongst the Fickle. <laughs> Amongst the Fickle. Oh my god, I can only see how this is going to end. Is, is it about a, a, a pub singer or a troubadour who, murdered- no, no,
2: no, 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 it, it, it's <laughs> it, it's uh, it's kind of like I'm not going to say it too much about it, but I mean, when some people are really off.
0: That's about me. I'm telling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> You're lining all your victims up to be got at in print, you know. No, a... One last question, Ian. It's been fascinating to talk to you as always. and I can't wait to see you face to face if I get down the West Coast. But what, of all that you've done in music and photography and in the book, if you had to sort of sum it all up in one sentence that you want to pass on to Evie, what would that be? Um, go for it. You know, they, they literally go for it.
2: I mean, as I said in the book, I, 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 you know, I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be the parent who, instead of taking the hard like the hard road, like I, did, you know, I mean, it's some people say it's an easy road, but it was a hard road, you know, the mm. up sticks and everything. I mean, how many times would you do that, you know? And uh, just turn around and if you have a dream that you, you know, instead of me being seventy years of age and looking into a a pint in the local pub in Wexford and saying. should have done it and telling your your kids at home that you've you know you've reneged on your own what you're telling them to to you know that's not the way i am just say she says to me i want to be in a band I say okay well go for it you know or i want to do this go for it she'll find out herself down the line once once she's educated enough and then she can go for what she wants you know
0: and she could she can start that uh, education at the age of 16 with an electronic copy of bastard boy which will be out (laughs) again (laughs) <laughs> soon on Amazon let me know and I'll tell people again when they should go and buy it it's, it's on Amazon but if
2: they don't mind being interrupted by
0: heads, head, headers and footers in the middle of the page <laughs> all right you know that's cool get, get on there and get it because as I say it's an amazing story and really you know it, it put me back in a time when you know you two and being the next big thing and everything like it was a completely different Ireland in some ways but it was also the very same Ireland we have today but yeah, for now you. Ian Maloney thanks so much for talking to me thank you
2: very much Phil much appreciate
0: from County Wexford there, and a little snippet of a song of his called Bastard Boy, and just before the interview, uh, you would have heard from the song Revenge of the Cover Band Singer, which uh, the first time I heard the chorus of that song, I'll put it this way, I should have known what he was going to call the book after I heard the chorus of that uh, song for the first time. My apologies if you're listening to that in the kitchen, making the dinner, and the kids are sort of five years old, and now they've learned a whole lot of words that they probably shouldn't be using just yet. But uh, that's the way these things go. Maybe not for the youngest ears, the Irish in Sweden podcast at times like this. That is all we have for you this week. Um, Again, so just a cracker's time altogether between Bloomsday and chatting to Ian. And there's another couple of interviews to go there. There's going to be, uh, I'll put it this way, slightly less ambitious podcasting in the month of July. Because you'll all be off in your summer houses or back in Ireland sitting staring out the window as the rain flies horizontally past you. Uh, so we'll see what we'll do with that. There might even be a little bit of a break there. But there's another couple of fascinating people booked in in the meantime. Next week, of course, uh, as you're listening to this, you know, from Monday onwards, next week is midsummer. So we'll see who we can manage to squeeze into next week's podcast, and then we'll uh, we'll lower the tempo just a little bit. I may go back and pick out some of the interviews and just sort of you know reprocess them put them out again you know repackage them with a couple of other different people you know we might do one where you know it's musicians like ian and put them together and uh, just give you a chance to go back over some of this stuff but sure, you know what you know let me know as well if there's something in particular that you'd like to hear again or a particular subject you'd like me to take up before uh, we we uh, go near we go down a little bit uh, before the summer but sure in the meantime uh, i hope you're enjoying the fine weather i hope the kids are now off school yeah, I hope they're, you know, doing their summer camps Or, you know, you find yourself sort of getting through The last few bits and pieces of work And that uh, you get a nice, long, hot, pleasant summer out of it And wherever you are and wherever you maybe be Look after yourselves and look after one another And she'll be back again on the Oceans Reading Podcast Before you know it <laughs>